As I was reading and studying for this sermon this past week, one book introduced me to another. Uh, I was introduced to a novel by uh, Neville Shute uh, entitled On the Beach, written in the 1960s. Uh, On the Beach is a, it's a novel set in Australia, and basically what happens is World War III has broken out, and nuclear weapons have been used across the northern hemisphere. Uh, the radioactive fallout, however, um, slowly sets in, and the people of Australia, who thought they were safe uh, from that radioactive fallout, begin to discover slowly uh, that they're being affected by it, and that death is certain, and that there's actually no way of escape. And as I was thinking about that very scenario, it strikes me that this is actually very, very similar to our experience of life in this world. Uh, at some point in our lives, we begin young and we think we're uh, uh, immune to various kinds of difficulty and disease and harm, and yet slowly it begins to dawn upon us uh, that we're aware of disease in the world and decay in the world and even death in our world. At some point in our lives we become painfully aware, like the people of Australia in Neville Schutz's book, that there's no escaping death. It's like that radioactive cloud making its way toward us. Uh, we begin to sense the deterioration, the decay that sets in even upon our own bodies in various forms at various times. Sometimes we become aware of it through things like cancer or diabetes or genetic diseases or organ failure. Even those whom God is pleased to give a, a, a long life to, an old age to, like our sister uh, Gaynell Mallard. Some of you may remember Gaynell. She lived to be 106, died just a couple of summers ago. Uh, even Gaynell knew that death was setting uh, in upon her. And we, we think about these things as Christians. We, we talk honestly about death. We, we do not try to deny it or push it off. The, the Bible plainly explains these things and explains why there is death in the world. So we read verses in the scripture like Romans chapter 5 verse 12, which says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. The reason there's death in the world is because there's sin in the world, because that first man sinned, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And because of sin and depravity and disease and decay has entered our world. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. And the Bible very plainly teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Yes, we deal with these things realistically and soberly. And yet, the Bible also teaches us that death does not have the last word, but that Jesus does. He overcame death, and He has purposed to cause His people to overcome death. One of the most remarkable doctrines of the Christian faith is the resurrection of the body, these bodies that we're living in now, and the life everlasting. In other words, the Bible teaches, and Christians believe, that we will overcome death through resurrection, and that we will live forever in the glory of the new heavens and the earth, new earth. This teaching of the Bible, this fundamental article of, a Christ, of the Christian faith, informs our life today. We live, Christians live not in fear, not in dread of being dead, but in confident hope as we await the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we just sang about. Lo, He comes with clouds and setting. We're praying for Him to come back. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So we live in confident hope as we await the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when He will make all things new, including me and including you. And this is what we have the privilege of thinking about together 
as we continue and conclude this occasional doctrinal series on the Apostles' Creed. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 25 to 29 to start. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page 890. In the earliest form, the Apostles' Creed emerged actually as a list of questions and answers that candidates for baptism would be asked as they prepared to enter into the visible membership of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, do you believe in God the Father Almighty would be the answer, the question. And the answer would be, I do, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And so this, they worked through the Creed in this way. It was uh, this question and answer format of the Apostles' Creed was used by a pastor in Rome named Hippolytus, probably as early as 214, 215 A.D. And the creed was refined throughout the years, likely reached its final form, the form that we confessed it in this morning, probably sometime around the 7th century. It's been used by Christians to confess our faith in the triune God for nearly 1,800 years. Now, there's one thing we need to understand about the Apostles' Creed. It was not so much written by Jesus' apostles as it was written to summarize the teaching of Jesus' apostles. And so the goal was to put into words a succinct summation of the Christian faith and the message of the apostolic gospel. So today, as we look at the words, we examine the words, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, and that last little word, amen. But what we're really going to do is examine the biblical underpinnings of these words. In other words, I'm not trying to preach the creed to you. I'm actually trying to preach the doctrine that the Bible, uh, that, that the creed is seeking to summarize. So I'm hoping to preach that to you. So that's why we'll look at John chapter 5, verses 25 to 29 and other important passages that teach us about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And here's what I want to convince you of this morning. Here's the main idea that I hope that you take away from this sermon and God's word this morning. That we will overcome death to enjoy ongoing life with God. We will overcome death to enjoy ongoing life with God. And by that word, we, I mean we as Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, at this point in the creed, we're thinking about our resurrection. Earlier in the creed, we thought about Jesus' resurrection. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And so we confess that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Uh, so, this is what we'll be thinking about this morning. And when we think about it, we'll be unpacking this in three sections, uh, under three headings. Uh, number one, oh, and there's a, a bulletin, I think, a bulletin insert there, uh, an outline of the sermon there on an insert in your bulletin. It's got three hole punches. You can put it in your trapper keeper uh, if you like. Uh, follow along. That was for the over 40 crowd. Anyway, if that uh, outline, by the way, is just a distraction, just set it aside and just try to listen. But we'll, we'll unpack it under three main headings. Number one, overcoming death through resurrection. Number two, ongoing life with God. And number three, offering our confession. Uh, let's begin with our first point, overcoming death through Resurrection, And here I want us to take a look at what Jesus said in, go in the Gospel of John. And as we dip in here into John chapter 5, it's important for us to understand what's going on. Uh, Jesus is explaining his relationship to God the Father. Uh, and that he said God was his Father actually made the Jews of his day angry. Uh, they actually wanted to kill him because they understood himself to be making himself equal with God. Which is exactly what he was doing. He was saying, I am God in the flesh. And I am related to God the Father. And he's explaining the nature of their relationship. He's even explaining uh, some of the authority that God the Father has entrusted to him. So this is what Jesus is talking about when we come into this section. He's saying, I have authority to do certain things. And here we read what Jesus says. John chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. 
and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, it's Jesus, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In these five short verses, Jesus speaks about two different times, two different groups of people, two different resurrections, and two different ends. So there are two different times. There's a present and a future. You see, there is an hour that is coming and is now here, Jesus says in verse 25. And then there's an hour that is still coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. That's in verse 29. And then there are two different groups of people, believers and unbelievers. Believers are those who hear Jesus' voice and live there in verse 25. And then, of course, there are those who don't hear Jesus' voice. Those are the unbelievers. And so they remain dead in their sins. And this shows us, I think, that there are actually two different resurrections in view in this passage. So a spiritual resurrection and a physical resurrection. The spiritual resurrection, only some experience. The physical resurrection, all experience. So that the spiritual resurrection is found there in verse 25. Jesus speaks about there. It's only experienced by those who hear his voice. It's experienced in this present time. But then there's a physical resurrection, which is experienced by all. You see it there in verse 28. And that comes at the end of time, when Jesus returns and raises the dead. And then there are two different ends. We see in these words, the resurrection unto eternal life and resurrection unto eternal judgment, verse 29. Those who experience a resurrection unto eternal life are those who have actually been raised spiritually in this present time. They believed upon the Lord Jesus. They've experienced a spiritual resurrection, regeneration, sometimes called in the scriptures. And so they will experience a resurrection unto life and glory with God forever. But those who experience the resurrection of judgment are those who have refused to hear Jesus' voice in this present life, in this present time. And so in their physical resurrection, they will experience an eternal punishment in the presence and wrath of God. Those are the two different ends, life and judgment. But make no mistake, the resurrection of the body, the physical body, for all mankind is a reality. The resurrection of the body for all mankind is a certainty. Look at verse 28 again. Notice carefully how Jesus says that it's not a matter of if, but when. An hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. So when we say that we believe in the resurrection of the body, we're saying that we believe in a physical resurrection of all mankind on the last day. A physical resurrection, just like Jesus' resurrection was a physical resurrection. And this... This is something that everyone in this room, everyone who has ever lived, will experience. You will get up from the dead. Will it be to a resurrection of life? Or will it be to a resurrection of judgment? The difference between the two is whether or not you're with Jesus and you believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus. If you've heard His voice or if you've refused to listen to Him and believe in Him and follow Him. The difference between the two is trust and salvation in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you actually to skip ahead one chapter. So turn from John 5 to John chapter 6 and find verse 40. I want you to see this 
for yourself. That Jesus promises he's going to raise his people up on the last day and give them eternal life. So John chapter 6, verse 40, you see it there? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will, look at Jesus' commitment to you, Christian, I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus will raise us up. If there's to be a resurrection of the body from the tomb, as Jesus said in, verse, in John chapter 5, the grave, and that it is a certain reality, that it means there is and has been and will be death in our world until Jesus comes again. Let me invite you now to turn over in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's on page 987 of the Bibles provided. And I want you to see how Paul, how he comforts, he comforts this congregation in Thessalonica. Uh, members of their church have died. Uh, and they're, they're wondering what will happen to them when Jesus returns. Will they be kind of left behind, so to speak? Paul says, no, no, no. They are with the Lord now, and they will always be with the Lord. But I'm going to raise them up on the last day. So Paul, Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, Christians have hope in the resurrection. We do not want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's a euphemism for death. Those who have died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, yes, brothers and sisters of the Lord have died. But Jesus, when He returns, He's going to raise them up from their grave and He's going to give them resurrected, glorified bodies first. And then we'll follow them. We who are left here on this earth, we will be given glorified bodies too. And we will always be with the Lord. What comforting words for the people of God. Death is a reality. It happens in our world. We, we face it in our church. Members of our church sadly die. But we have hope, ongoing hope, in Jesus and His promise. Since death is a reality, we should in fact be prepared for it. In death, the, the body, it shuts down all of its physical processes. And from the Bible, we learn that when this happens, a separation between the soul and the body takes place. Because death is not the end of our experience. No, we actually continue on self-consciously aware. Think of the example of the Lord Jesus, right? Where the separation of the soul and the body takes place. Jesus on the cross, he cries out, Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Jesus understood that he, his spirit, would go to be with the Lord even while his body remained in the grave, put in the tomb uh, by those who, who followed him. Jesus understood he'd be with the Lord. And what did he say to the thief on the cross? Remember? He said, today... You will be with me in paradise. So when we die, should the Lord Jesus call us home, our souls will go to be with Him, just like He promised that thief on the cross. Our souls will not go to purgatory. If 
ever anyone deserved purgatory, according to the Roman Catholic Church, it would be that thief. He had some sins to pay for. But no, Jesus says to him, no, no, today you will be with me in paradise. Purgatory is a false doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Dear Christian, you will go to be with the Lord on the day that you die. We can think of this even in Stephen's experience, right? Stephen, when he is being stoned in Acts chapter 7, verse 59, he says, Father, into your hands, or Lord Jesus, into your hands, uh, I, I commit my spirit. Same, same, same uh, that Jesus said on the cross. So, beloved, in the, in the words of the, the catechism, they're very helpful here. Uh, the souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. Their bodies, being still united to Christ, rest in their graves until the resurrection. There are other scriptural examples of this. So we've thought about uh, Jesus, His Spirit going to be with the Father, the thief on the cross, Him going to be with the Lord Jesus in paradise, Stephen as well. But there are other scriptural examples of this teaching as well. right? What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21? When we die, uh, we will enter into glory. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Similarly, the Apostle Paul, he expressed an earnest hope of being with the Lord. So in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he said, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better by far. Paul understood that when he died, he would be with the Lord in the immediate presence of the Lord Jesus. He even taught the church in Corinth that when we are away from the body, we are at home with the Lord. That's really where home is, with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, think of Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, where the saints are standing at the side of the Lord Jesus. And they're asking him, how long until he comes again? How long until the reckoning of his judgment? Yes, we will be self-conscious, aware, and in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when we die. And let's be sure to kind of banish the trite words that people sometimes offer at death. Heaven has not gained another angel. Heaven has gained the precious soul of a saint, a sinner redeemed by Jesus Christ. And that person is in the immediate presence of Jesus. Beloved, at death, though your soul will be separated from your body, you will not be in a mindless state and you will not be alone. You will be in an aware and self-conscious state at the side of Jesus. You will be with the Lord. And though death is a frightful foe, it is a great comfort that our Savior has gone before us in death. Think about that. The Lord Jesus has paved the way for us. I think J.I. Packer so helpfully writes, For Christians, the terror of physical death is abolished. Though the unpleasantness of dying remains, Jesus, the risen Savior, has himself passed through a more traumatic death than any Christian will ever have to face. And he now lives to support his servants as they move out of this world to the place that he has prepared for them in the next world. Jesus has gone through what we will go through. And he has been so kind to comfort us with the words of Scripture that teach us that He's not only here with us now by His Spirit, but that He will be with us both in and after death, and that we will be with Him. That's where believers will be, with Christ. This is where those who have heard the voice of the Son of God, Jesus, John 5, 25, who have experienced that spiritual resurrection of regeneration, and have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that's where we will be. But what about those who in this present life, have not heard the voice of Jesus, who have not 
believed in Him, had a spiritual resurrection of soul, be regenerated, and therefore remain dead in their sins. Well, sadly, their spirit goes to a place of woeful pain where they wait for the final judgment. Jesus actually gives us a picture of this in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I encourage you to read it in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, later today. It's a parable, but it is illustrating a reality. In that parable, the, the rich man died, was buried, and was consigned to hell. And hell, according to the teaching of the Bible, is a place of eternal self-conscious torment. Jesus tells us that this rich man was in torment, that he was in anguish because of the flame. He was enduring a never-ending pain, and he was conscious of it, aware of it. Friends, we need to recognize that hell is so horrifying that we ought not make light of it or diminish it, diminish the horror of it. We, we ought not to say things like life is a living hell or that we're experiencing hell on earth or that we're going through hell. Thankfully, that is not true. If you are living and breathing and on earth, you are not going through hell or living or in a living hell, no matter how difficult life may be. And I admit life may be exceedingly difficult, very difficult. But friend, dear Christian, Jesus is sustaining you even now. Toward the end of the parable there in Luke 16, we learn that this rich man, that he wanted to get a message to his brothers while they were still alive. He wanted them to know that hell was a terrible place and that they should not live their lives uh, so that, that they should live their lives differently than his so that they do not meet his end. But the request in the parable, we learned that the request was essentially denied because at death, not only is the soul separated from the body, but we are separated from our earthly relationships and our earthly treasure. What is more, at death, we are separated from the possibility of change. At death, all of opportunity, all of the opportunity to hear the voice of Christ, to live and love and serve Him, at death, all of that has passed. Sadly, those who do not hear Jesus' voice and believe in Him, they will be consigned to hell, a place of woeful pain where they await judgment and the final resurrection. So friend, I urge you, if you're not a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ today, friend, escape that end by hearing the voice of Jesus. And that means believing upon Him, believing that He lived for you and died for you and was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible teaches us that until Christ returns, all will die. Both rebels against Jesus and redeemed by Jesus, all will die. It teaches us that one day all will be made alive. All will be resurrected, given physical bodies on the last day. Jesus will overcome death through raising all of mankind from their graves. This is actually what the Old Testament taught as well. So for example, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, we're told that uh, some will be resurrected to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Sadly, those who have rebelled against Jesus and refused to hear His voice in the present time we resurrected to everlasting contempt and judgment and ruin. And as we'll learn tonight from Psalm 1-5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But those who have heard and believed will be welcomed into that glorious congregation of the righteous. And this means that in the resurrection, our bodies will be reunited with our souls. Just as Jesus' body and soul were reunited in His own resurrection, his glorified body 
was reunited with his soul in his resurrection. The Bible plainly teaches this. So for example, in Job chapter 19, verse 26, the author of Job says, Yet in my flesh I shall see God. In my flesh I shall see God. In our flesh we shall see God. In death our bodies returned to dust. But when Jesus resurrects us, he, he reforms our bodies. He remakes them from the dust of the earth. He puts us back together. He puts us back together in an altogether new and glorious way. Paul has this uh, interesting section in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, where he talks about the, the kind of the current burden of the tent, which he's referring to his body as a tent. Uh, it's going to break down, and he feels it breaking down. Our bodies are, are wasting away, even though uh, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. We feel the burden of our bodies, especially as we age. And so Paul says that he doesn't, he doesn't actually want to be unclothed, which is what happens in, in death, right? The soul of the believer, uh, their soul goes to be with the Lord. Their, the body remains in the grave. Their, soul, uh, their bodies kind of shed their souls, so to speak, or the reverse. Anyway, Paul says he doesn't want to be unclothed uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. But then he says he actually wants to be further clothed. And that's what the resurrection of our bodies is and the glorification of our bodies is. It's a, a further clothing so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You realize that, beloved. Resurrection swallows up death. It overcomes death. The resurrection of our bodies is how we will overcome death. And it's a real body, a glorious body. And Jesus is our principal example of the kind of resurrection body that we will have. He is the first fruits of a harvest of resurrection that is to come, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. And, and think about it. What did Jesus do with his resurrected body? If you want to know what you're going to do with your resurrected body, look to Jesus and see what he did with his resurrected body. Right? He, he ate with his disciples. He was there with them. They, 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 they touched him. He, he ate fish and visited with them on the beach. He had fellowship with them. That's what we too will experience. We will experience what, what Jesus experienced. Um, the resurrection of, of Jesus' body was the, the same body. It was a glorified body. And this shows us that the resurrection of our bodies, it shows us that we believe the body and the material creation is good. Our, our bodies are not evil in and of themselves. They're good. God made us and He declared them good. So we receive these renewed bodies in God's kindness and grace. Paul describes it like this. How will be patterned after Jesus. Paul describes it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Did you know that you were going to receive a body like Jesus? Uh, we've got to read one of my all-time favorite passages on this subject. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Contains perhaps my favorite verse in all of the Bible. Um, go to page 962 of the Bibles provided. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 to 49. And as we read, I want you to keep in mind that what we're reading about is what the redeemed will receive in their resurrection life. And notice how there's kind of an advancement uh, that we see taking place in this scripture. Christian, this is the body that you will receive in the resurrection. Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. So it is... With the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. 
It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man became a living being. Sorry, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's a reference to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not that the spiritual is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And now here's the conclusion, right? Just as you've been given a body like Adam, a body of dust that was sown, it was planted in the ground, and it's going to be raised up like a seed springing forth from the earth to give fruit and bear fruit. And yet that's going to happen because a man has done that before you. Jesus went into the grave before you and he came up from the grave after you. So here it is. Here's the conclusion. You've borne Adam's image and you're going to bear Jesus' image. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What a glorious truth. Beloved, your body will be raised. And when it is, you will have a resurrection body like Jesus. A real physical body. A body which will never be subjected to disease, to decay, to depravity, or death ever again. That's why we're told in Revelation 21, verse 4, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Beloved, this is our sure and certain hope. Our Savior, He has shown us mercy in salvation. And He will show us mercy in the consummation of our salvation, in the resurrection of our bodies. And as I, I thought about our congregation and our future experience of this this past week, it was glorious to think about what Jesus will do for members of our, our church family. I mean, think of all the afflictions and ailments that we as a church family face and how they will be no more. These are the things that Jesus will relieve us of in the resurrection. So no more will anxiety cause our bodies to seize up and freeze, right? No more asthma or allergies, but no more rare genetic diseases, no more undiscoverable intestinal issues, no more migraines, no more eating disorders, no more mania or depression, no more diabetes or arthritis, no more insomnia, no more voices inside our heads, no more cirrhosis of the liver, no more Lyme's disease or Crohn's, no more chronic fatigue, no more immune deficiencies, no more blindness, no more heart disease, no more Alzheimer's or dementia, no more cancer, no more canes or walkers or wheelchairs. Most of all, no more death, no more death below. This is what Jesus will accomplish in the resurrection of our bodies as he purposes to bring us into the new heavens and the new earth. And this, this gives us hope not only in the present, but it also gives us motivation for offering hope in the present. Right? So if you're still in the book of 1 Corinthians, skip down to the last chapter in this, uh, the last verse in this chapter. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Do you see what Paul says there? Here's the conclusion of it all. What, what should this mean? Since you're going to get up from your grave, what should this mean? He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
In other words, given that this future awaits you, that you're going to have a, a resurrected body, labor in the Lord to invite others into this future. Your labor for the good news of Jesus Christ is not in vain. Since you have, risen, have a risen and reigning king, and since you will rise and reign with him, invite others to enjoy this life with him. Beloved, in the words of J.C. Ryle, do something by God's help to make heaven more full and hell more empty. And this life, this life that we invite others to in Jesus Christ, it's everlasting life. It's eternal life. We could describe it as ongoing life with God, which is our second point. And so for this point, I want us to turn back to John's gospel, but this time to John chapter 3, verse 16. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, that's on page 888. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 3, verse 16, page 888 in the Bibles provided. You know, life everlasting, eternal life. It's one of the happiest subjects in the Bible. And rightly so. The, the same, actually, idea for life everlasting that's used in the creed is used in this very same verse, this text. John 3, 16. Let me read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now what's interesting, or at least one of the things that's interesting to me about John 3.16 is that John's focus is not on perishing. It's on eternal life, but he mentions perishing. And I think that's because we understand the value of something in in a contrast often, right? So perishing is set in contrast to eternal life. Perishing is the antithesis to eternal life. These are two opposite realities. Jesus actually does something similar in John chapter 10, verse 28, when he speaks explicitly about his sheep, saying... I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Uh, that word here in John 3.16, John 10.28, uh, it's the same word, that word eternal. It's ionios. And as I said, it's actually the same concept the creed uses for everlasting life. Uh, we get our word for eons from this word. So this is uh, properly translated eternal, or everlasting, or not of this age, but of the age to come. So the eternity, or the age that's in view here, is actually qualitatively different than this present age. And this is true for several reasons. One of which is because in the age to come, God has finally consummated his triumph over evil. That age also is also qualitatively different because this present age will end, while that age, that age to come, that age of eternal life, will have no end. So, so what is eternal life? Well, eternal life is life of the age to come. It's broken into this present evil age. And believers in Jesus Christ have experienced it in their spiritual resurrection, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we'll go on and on and on. It's life that is ongoing. Life of the age that has no end. It goes on for all eternity. And to be clear here, we're, um, we're talking about eternal life with respect to, to believers in Jesus. We're not talking about the eternality that God himself has. Right? When you think of God's eternality, God himself has no beginning and he has no end. But we, we have a beginning. But we will have no end. That's what we mean by eternity. We will have no end. We'll live forever with the Lord. Uh, God made us all to know him. To dwell with him. One of the most crucial aspects of everlasting life uh, that we need to understand is that. Is dwelling with God. Knowing him. So Jesus uh, gives us his definition in John chapter 14, uh, verse 3 of eternal life. This is Jesus uh, well, actually, John chapter 17, verse 3, forgive me. 
He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life will consist of knowing God. Knowing, as I said in the scriptures, has connotations of a relationship, fellowship with God. So believers will relate to God in perfect, wonderful love for all eternity. And God will relate to believers in perfect, wonderful love for all of eternity. And this has been Jesus' design. So in John chapter 14, verse 3, he said, I want to take you. I'm going to go away to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to return and come get you and bring you to be with myself. This is one of the central aspects of eternal life that we dwell with God. Turn forward in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can find the passage on page uh, 1041, I believe. Here, here I want us to bring together the resurrection of the body with eternal life or life everlasting. John, he's the author of Revelation. He's going to tell us where we will dwell in our resurrected bodies and who we will dwell with in our resurrected bodies. And what John describes is the nature of our everlasting life. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So you see here what Revelation 21 teaches us is not only is God going to make us new in our resurrected bodies, he's actually going to make all things new, a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth which we will enjoy, which we will enjoy Him in. And all that in our resurrected bodies. Bodies, as you know right now, they require a space and place to live and move and have their being. And so God will give us that space and place, and everlastingly so, in the new heavens and the new earth. And to be clear, uh, what I'm saying here is we're not actually going to be in that final state in our resurrected bodies, we're not going to be disembodied beings floating on clouds with little wings and harps in our hands. We will be whole, both in body and soul. We will be earthly, walking, working, willing, and worshiping all to the glory of God's good pleasure. We will be blessed in God, and we will be blessing God. We will be those who fall down on their faces and cry in the words of Revelation 19, verse 6, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. And friend, if you ever think about heaven, you think, I, I wonder if I'm going to enjoy heaven. There is no way you could be bored with heaven unless you're bored with God on earth. There's no way you'll be bored in heaven unless you're bored with God on earth. You will delight in God. If you delight in Him now, you will delight in Him infinitely so more in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be so delighted with God and with the everlasting life that He gives us with Him. We will be given what Adam lost in the garden, right? In Genesis chapter 3, he lost perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. But it will be even better than Eden, because it can never be lost again, right? Where Adam sinned and disobeyed, the second Adam, the Son of God, the man from heaven, 
Lord Jesus perfectly obeyed God the Father and earned everlasting life for us in the presence of God. This is why Jesus says over and over again that he gives eternal life and we will never perish. And do you want to know one of the great things, another one of the great things I should say about this everlasting life is that you will never be able to sin again. Jesus will not only give you a perfected body, but he will also perfect your soul so that your every desire is to love and serve and please God in newness of life. Revelation 21 verse 27 tells us that nothing unclean will ever enter into the new heavens and the new earth. Your best life is not now. In Jesus Christ, your best life is yet to come. We know this because God has set eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11. We know this because the psalmist has said that at your right hand and in your presence is fullness of joy forevermore. And we know this because the Apostle Peter said that when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus comes back, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I wonder, do you believe this? Is this the confession that you offer? Under the third point, offering our confession, I want us to think about this conclusion to the creed in that one little word, amen. I want us to think about uh, that word, which means it's true. I want us to think about that one little word in light of Jesus' conversation with Martha in John chapter 11. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. When you get there, uh, if you know John chapter 11, you know uh, something of what it's about. It's about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, Lazarus was sick. Uh, his sisters sent word to him that he was sick. He died. Jesus kind of arrives too late in Bethany. And when he turns up to town, Martha, she finds Jesus and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Uh, we're so much like Martha, I think. Uh, we, when we're grieving the loss of a loved one, we, we want to know why the Lord didn't intervene. And Jesus, he responds to Martha by telling her that her brother would rise again. Uh, but Martha, she doesn't get it. She's confused. She says, I know he's going to rise in the last day. Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm going to get him up today. <laughs> uh, and actually, he's going to raise him on the last day as well. And so Jesus says to her there in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I wonder, can you put your amen or amen to this truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Right? When you say amen to something, you're saying, I agree. It's true. I believe it. It's true. Can you put your amen to the truth that one day Jesus will raise your body from the grave and give you eternal life? Can you put your amen to the truth that you will overcome death through resurrection and enjoy ongoing life with God? Do you believe this? Do we believe this? Is this your confession? Is this our confession as a church family that Jesus has the power to raise the dead? And there's a reason that we all need to believe this. I said it at the very beginning, and I'll say it here at the end. Death is real. The Lord told Adam in the Garden of Eden, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
You see, because God was the author of Adam's life, he has authority over Adam. He had the authority to give him a command. And sadly, one day, Adam ate of the fruit. He sinned against God, and on that day, sin and death entered into our world. And we've been fighting sin and death ever since. It's like that radioactive cloud was approaching the people of Australia in Neville Shute's book, On the Beach. They thought that they had escaped its poisonous effects, but they hadn't. We'd like to think that if we were in Adam's shoes, we would have chosen a different course for humanity and for ourselves. But deep in our hearts, we all know the truth. We've all sinned against God. We've all decided to live our own way rather than God's way, like Adam did. And that's just what sin is. Sin is living our own way instead of God's way. And because God is holy and just and good, He cannot let sin go unpunished. And so we all stand in danger of facing eternal death in hell. The wages of sin is indeed death. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In John 11, Jesus speaks frankly about death. He doesn't try and convince us that death isn't real. He isn't a charlatan. Jesus knows just how real death is. Jesus saw firsthand the terrible effects of sin in this world. He saw how it resulted in death. And so he wept at Lazarus' tomb. And he raised him from the dead. And that was a preview of what he would do on the last day. It was a preview of what he would do himself in his own death and resurrection. Jesus himself first knew the reality of death. He experienced it. He died on the cross. And when he did, the Bible says that he took upon himself the sins and the punishment to all of his people. All of those who ever turned from their sin and trusted in him. That Jesus bore God's wrath for their sins in his body on the tree. Jesus, he then three days later, got up from the dead. And he triumphantly reigns over death. And Jesus will never die again. When we come into contact with death in this life, we come to realize that we need somebody to triumph over this enemy, to overcome death. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. And that's exactly why he's the only one in the world who is worthy of our faith. Because he's the only one who has overcome death and triumphed over it. You see why we should believe that Jesus is the resurrection of the life. And that he will resurrect us and give us eternal life. Jesus is worthy of our faith. Friend, do you believe in him? You believe he died bearing the punishment for your sins. He was raised from the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sins. Trust in Jesus for the salvation of your soul, the resurrection of your body, and life everlasting. Make this your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Agree with God and say amen to the truth that God the Father made you and all that is in this world. Say amen to the truth that Jesus came to live for you, the life that you've not lived. Say amen to the truth that Jesus came to die for you on the cross, the death that your sins deserve. Say amen to the truth that Jesus was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins. Say amen to the truth that even now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Say amen to the truth that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Say amen to the truth that Jesus is building his church and forming a people for his own possession. Say amen to the truth that you've been forgiven by God. And you're to forgive like God. All because of the forgiveness that you know in Jesus. And say amen to the truth. That your body will rise. And never decay. Day by day by day. Because Jesus has given you everlasting life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father we give you thanks. Thanks for these very great and precious promises in your word. 
we give you thanks that we will certainly overcome death through resurrection because Jesus will get us up from our graves on the last day. And Father, we give you thanks that that's not the end of the story, but that we will have ongoing life with you in glory, in the new heavens and the new earth, that we will work and will and worship all to the glory of your name. Father, we pray and ask that you would help each one of us to offer our confession that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Even as we come to this Lord's table here in just a moment, we pray that our our partaking of this meal would say, visibly proclaim, that we're going to enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb on the last day and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Oh, give us faith to believe all these truths, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.